Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Got a uh, very busy Wednesday coming up for you. Obviously, Canucks and Colorado Avalanche will dive into some of the game topics a little bit later on. Pre-game officially starts up at 6 o'clock. Kevin Woodley will join us. Thatcher Demko, T the early favorite for the Vesna. Plus, uh, Chris Higgins, Canucks Assistant Director of Player Development, will join us along with Corey Duhame later on in the show. So uh, get excited for that as we get excited for the first checkpoint of the season, Sat. Every September, hockey people like us <laughs> will say something along the lines of, well, the first checkpoint of the year is American Thanksgiving. And if you're in a playoff spot, you're in a good spot by the time you get there. If you're in a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, you should be in a pretty good spot for the rest of the year. It's always that first checkpoint. It's always mentioned every September as training camps open and mm-hmm. the starts of the season begin. And here we are. No matter what happens tonight, Canucks are going to be comfortably in a playoff spot at American Thanksgiving and through the 20-game mark of the season. It's uh, It was sort of the first benchmark that they needed to hit, and they've already hit it comfortably. You know, didn't even need this game or even Monday's win against the San Jose Sharks to get there. No, and the conversation around this team is how close now are they or still how far away are they Yes, from the ultimate best teams in the National Hockey League? Can they actually hold down a top three spot in the division by the end of the season? Those are the conversations now about the team as opposed to are they going to make the playoffs or not? not? Now, that can always change. <laughs> If you go on a slide and all of a sudden your playoff lives are on the line, yep. well, then the discussion is going to be more about, hey, can you still make it? But right now, with the start they've had, they've changed the discussion to the point where we're talking about how high is the ceiling? What can they do? What else can they do to this roster to take that other step? And you know, what do they need and everything? And how do they match up against teams like Colorado? And that's, a, that's I think, a Farther, I think they're farther along that process than most of us had assumed they would be at the 20-game mark of the season. Uh, if you're listening live, you can get in on the conversation, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. As uh, We always appreciate those listening live, being a part of the show. Comment, question, whatever you got. Here's what I'll say through the 20-game mark. And again... Whether or not the Canucks get smoked tonight, of no consequence for me. I'm ready to call the Canucks a top five team in the Western Conference as we sit here today. Is that all that hot takey? It shouldn't be. Right now, they have the number one goal difference in the league. They have 27 points. It's only second in the conference to just the Vegas Golden Knights. Sure, they've played a couple of more games than some other teams, but... It's been a very impressive start to the season for the Vancouver Canucks. You look at Seattle, 
I know Seattle just beat the Canucks. I still view Vancouver as a better team than they are. Calgary and Edmonton, all kinds of trouble. No way those teams are anywhere close to where the Canucks are by season's end. The Anaheim Ducks, they're already starting to fall because they're not built to be a team that can win this year. And in the Central, like there's really only two teams that scare me all that much. It's Dallas and Colorado. So at worst, even if you're pessimistic about the Canucks, I'm not sure how you look at this and say there's anybody other than Dallas, Colorado, and the LA Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights, of course, that are for sure better than the Vancouver Canucks. Even those teams, I think you can make some arguments and they're, you know, dependent on preference of who you think is better or not. Vegas is 100% better than the Vancouver Canucks. They're the defending champions. They look like the best team in the league. Colorado, still love the high-end talent. Tonight's a good measuring test. LA has really impressed me to start the season. I wasn't necessarily a believer coming into the year. And Dallas, Canucks beat them, but I still think they're a very good team as well. Other than that, Canucks are at worst on the same level as everybody else in the Western Conference. And if even if you're saying that, I think you're underselling Vancouver a little bit. So there's still a line between them and Vegas. And Colorado, it's interesting. We were talking about them before the show and going through their roster. I think at their best, McKinnon and Rantanen are a notch above Miller yep. and Pedersen. You know, and at Pedersen, we know his heights, how good they can be. We've seen McKinnon and what he can also do, right? Ranton is one of the best goal scorers in the league, one of the most dominant players in the league when he gets going, right? Like, he's he's a lot like Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. You know, he's not too dissimilar. I mean, as much as um, Miller, Pedersen, and Hughes have led the league in scoring to start the year, it's still hard to take any one of them over Colorado's big three. Now, what what Pedersen and Miller have done is make it a discussion. Yeah. What uh, Quinn Hughes has done is all of a sudden make it a conversation about he's on the same in the same tier. Yeah. As Kale McCarr, who was alone, and now is uh, Quinn Hughes having his company all of a sudden. You can make arguments that McCarr is still a notch above in that regard. He's definitely not in tier three. No, but in terms of what they've accomplished so far and their track record, I don't think it's unfair to say that they're slightly higher than what Vancouver is, right? Those yeah. top three guys. The rest of the, of their forward groups, you can you can nitpick and point and go back and forth, but can say it's pretty similar overall. Where the rest of the support is better for Colorado is their defense. They have a top four. Yeah. You know, Josh Manson's their fifth defenseman. Now he's he's struggled too, but you know, he's their fifth. They have Sam Girard, who's really good too. And Bowen Byram, of course, who people know from his d- days with the Vancouver Giants, and obviously Taves and McCarr. That's better than the Canucks defense. Goaltending, Vancouver's goaltending is clearly better with Thatcher Demko. Yes. But their high end's a bit higher, right? Vegas, it's clear where mm-hmm. they're at in terms of being a notch above. We talked about Dallas. You can make arguments with those teams. I still agree, though, that I probably put that team with what they've accomplished and how consistent they can be slightly higher than Vancouver. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't the biggest believer in the Kings, but with how they're playing, the only question kind of comes down to, can their goaltending truly hold up? And what does that look like come the postseason? Will it matter Yeah. with the three centers they have going down the middle? I, I think they're a terrible matchup for Vancouver. And I can't wait to watch the Canucks play them to get a real sense of how they match up against each other and, and can Van beat them. But that's where we are now with this team. We can say those teams are better, 
But it's not like we're sitting here and talking about, hey, the Canucks are in the same class of the St. Louis Blues that we've seen, for instance. I yeah. think they're above those teams. It's just, are you within enough striking distance to the Colorados, to the Dallas Stars, to the Vegas Golden Knights, that if you make the, when you make the playoffs, hopefully, not only are we talking about, hey, can you win a round, but can you make it interesting against those teams? If you don't beat them, do you give them a real series where you, where you come away and say, man, if we get like one or two more guys, yeah. we might be better. Like, Can you get there at the very least? That's what I'm hoping to see as the season goes on. If you add a defenseman, how does that change the look of your team? Can you uh, skirt away with having minimal injuries through the course of the year? Injuries are going to change the conversation in the Western Conference as the season goes on a little bit. It always happens. Somebody's going to lose somebody big, and it'll change how they look and how they're able to contend as the season goes on. But you know, those are things every team is going to have to deal with. As far as like L.A. goes, I think what's helped them get over the top a little bit is not just Pierre-Luc Dubois fitting in pretty well, but Quentin Byfield and Arthur Kaliev have both taken a step. So they finally had a couple of young players really step into bigger roles and be bigger producers offensively for them. That's why I'd say I'm a little bit more scared of the L.A. Kings today than I was at the start of the season when, yeah. if you'll remember, I called them a non-playoff team. Looks like a miss on my part. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't sure about the non-playoff team thing, <laughs> but I mean, I, 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 it's my own personal one. I, I just want to, I want to let our listeners know I don't run away from my bad takes. Okay. And yeah. I know you all think that I have many of them, <laughs> but I don't run away from them. At least he's being honest about, about, about this one and most of them, to be honest. Now, but, <laughs> but I would say though, um, they have some question marks. Like I think their defense has played better, but but it really comes down to how their centers play and how they're able to forecheck the hell yeah. out of you, right? And they're a really d- difficult team to play in games. Watching that game between the Vegas Golden Knights and the LA Kings, that was an absolute war. I, yeah. I came away looking at it and saying, man, the Kings didn't seem that far behind Vegas, at least yeah. in the game and, and how they're kind of structured. And that's pretty scary. I still wonder about the goaltending, like I said, and the overall depth on that defense, I'm not quite sure. You know, so so I do have some questions about them, but um, that's the team. You might end up playing them in the postseason. Yeah, is that the team you can beat? Because if the Canucks are finishing second or third, and the Kings are second or third, that's who you're playing. That's and, and can you actually beat them in a playoff series? It's going to be uh, interesting to see because that um, storyline could really build through the back end of the season with them not having played each other all the way up until late February. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Bowen Burnaby says, I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, teams like Edmonton and Mini still go on a run. Edmonton, and we'll get a better idea in a couple of games too, truly, how hard this is going to be for them, but they're so far behind already that they're Edmonton's going to be li- like, almost no matter what, Edmonton's going to be life and death to get into a wild card spot. Now, I will say this, the team that is occupying the second wild card spot is currently under 500. Yeah. Now, Seattle uh, might be at 500 if they win their game tonight. But nonetheless, the point is, right now, the bar to make the postseason is 500. That's a saving grace. There's no, there's but that's a, not going to happen by the end of the season. It's, I don't it's going to be 90, 91. I, like, at worst, it'll be 90 points. No doubt, but it doesn't, right now, doesn't yes. change the fact that right now, Edmonton is eight points back, and they still have two or three games in hand. Are you facts onlying me? I am. I'm facts onlying <laughs> you. I, I'm saying as much as like we want to count out Edmonton, I'm still I'm still not I'm still not at, at the point where I can dismiss them. I can't. In Minnesota, even for them, like 
this is where it's going to be interesting. Last year, none of the teams that were four points or more. We'll talk more about this as later, but none of those teams made the playoffs. Yeah. This year, it, it might not be as difficult. Now, for the Canucks, this this year for me is an opportunity for you to be beyond this playoff discussion. Yeah. Like, I, I, want, to, I want, and as much as even if you are, t- it's going to be tough for you to beat the Kings, I want that to be the goal by the end of the year, that you're a top, that you have the second spot in the division. And, and I'm not saying you're going to flirt with uh, taking the first spot away from uh, uh, Vegas, but you're only one point back. Mm-hmm. And when you're one point back 20 games in, I'm just saying, like, to me, your goal shouldn't be how, how do we make sure we make the playoffs? Like, you, you, should, you should take on the challenges that present themselves to you. Yes. And how do you take on challenges? By reaching certain heights where the challenges get greater. That's what it, what the goal should be. Like, and I'm not saying they're that team. Yeah. But that's that has to be the mindset of the team on the ice and also the organization. And not to say go and, and frivolously trade away all your assets, but it's about how close can you get here now. Canucks would say that they're still taking it one game at a time, but the goal this year shouldn't only just be playoffs now because you've given yourself enough of a cushion here that you should think of yourself as a playoff team already. And that's twenty what- games in. You you're you're a playoff team. Barring a, a, an 18-wheeler going off the cliff, this team is going to the playoffs. And that's – so now what's – as you say, what's your next goal yeah. beyond that? And that's kind of what I want to see the team do. And and honestly, part of it also comes down to as good as Patterson, Hughes, and Miller have been right now, and we've seen it overall as a, te- as a team. They're being scouted differently. They're being checked a lot differently. We've talked about how this do you quite evolve? a bit. How do, you, how do you manage that? How do you battle against that? The greatest players in the game are the players that constantly adjust to that and overcome. Same thing with the best teams. And now those are the challenges this team is faced with. These individual players are faced with. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. The Canucks as a top five team. The only other team I would say that's even close that I'm willing to even hear an argument about is the Winnipeg Jets. They've been yeah. off to a good start. So it was funny because we did our playoff predictions. Yeah. And uh, we had them already figured out. We had worked on them. And that day, literally right before we went on air, the, the Winnipeg Jets announced Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele yeah. uh, have signed extensions. And I turned to you and said, man, like I <laughs> and I, even, I think I said on air, I was like, man, I, could, I if I knew there's going to be stability with the Winnipeg Jets, I would have rather picked them to make the playoffs than a mm-hmm. few other teams. And not only because of their talent, and they have some talent, if it comes together, like they can, they can talk themselves into not being that far away from Vancouver. Yeah, you know, um, and, and we're we're sitting here and talking about you know where where is Vancouver compared to these teams? People in Winnipeg probably look at the Canucks and say, okay, how close are we to them? How do we get over them? Like, because that's a team that obviously we might be playing in the postseason at some point, or at the very least, how we're in the pecking order in the Western Conference hierarchy. Uh, they've had a really good start. Obviously, Kyle Connor, still uh, one of the most underrated players in the league um, because he plays for Winnipeg, yes. so nobody really pays attention, unfortunately, but still one of the most gifted goal scorers that this league has. Mark Scheifele's off to a great start this season after signing that big contract. Cole Perfetti has been a good uh, good pickup for them, obviously a top draft pick, and is finally really starting to find his feet as well. So, you know, those are kind of the teams right now in the Western Conference. Everybody else playing catch-up. Mm-hmm. And that's the value that the Canucks have brought in to this season so far. So, encouraging. Now, the Canucks are here because of their stars. We talked about comparing their stars to the Colorado Avalanche. The conversation today, and we, we 
we talked about it a little bit yesterday. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. They are the two best defensemen in the league, and they're going head-to-head right now. Every time Crosby and Ovechkin would go up against each other, it was a big story for the hockey world. And today, mm-hmm. with Hughes and McCarr going up against each other, it it's just it's the big story. It's it's what everybody's talking. I can't tell you how many boards I've seen up on Twitter today comparing these two guys, their statistics, their scoring chances, mm-hmm. everything they do with the puck. This is the biggest draw right now in the National Hockey League tonight. It is. And and it's not like there aren't other players that you can talk about and say, "Hey, you know, what about Heiskanen? What about And I think it's fair to say, but right now Quinn Hughes is matching Kill McCarr in pretty much every category. Mm-hmm. And before it was always there was a clear line of okay, well, McCarr is better defensively, a bit more powerful with how he plays, and he can score goals. Quinn yep. can't score goals. Yep. Well, now Quinn's a bit more powerful. Quinn's a bit better defensively, and boy, can he score goals all, all of a sudden. <laughs> so, and that that changes that changes things all of a sudden. It really has. And when you you go through the things you mentioned, and it's like they're one and two. In yeah. almost every category. Now, there's a couple where, you know, maybe shot attempts per that McCarr's 10th, Quinn Hughes is 3rd, but scoring chances, assists, he's 14th, Quinn and McCarr's 1st, but the rest is essentially them trading 1st, 2nd, or 3rd or something. That, that's what we're talking about in terms of the metrics, in terms of um, all the numbers you talk about, but just also as far as who they are as players and how they match up against one another. Yeah. It's, there, are, there are fewer things we can point at to say, Hey, this is why McCarr is better. Now it's they are in the same tier. Like the, the way Quinn's playing, they're in the same tier. And can Quinn continue the growth where perhaps in a given year, maybe this is the year, he takes an edge. Yeah. And by the end of the season, wins a Norris maybe over him because he was the better player. And I think that's absolutely remarkable. Remarkable about Quinn. And I think. When you look at what this team needs, what I just mentioned in terms of, hey, they have to grow, they have to take on these bigger challenges, and that's how they get better. That guy, Quinn Hughes, is a player that through every single challenge he's faced in the NHL has overcome. And it hasn't been always easy. Mm-hmm. And he's talked about the, the stress he's had, too. He's talked about all the hard things he's gone through and people you know, doubting him, but also him struggling on the ice for a couple of seasons defensively. Yeah, And then he started getting better. And not only is he getting better, like he's excelling at the highest of heights. And when that's the captain of your team, a player who's willing to go through those struggles, is willing to get better and understands the weight of it, it should give you some assurance at the very least that they do have some of the, the, key, the some of the right factors to take on these challenges. And I think it's a microcosm of can Quinn Hughes battle Kale McCarr? Can this Canucks team battle the top teams in the West? It's uh, like I know. They're one and two as far as defensemen go. And I know they just so happen to be neck and neck in the points race. Uh, Makar actually slightly above on points per game, which sort of highlights just how great his season has been. But Hughes does have eight goals already, and we know goals are king. That's really one of the things that separated Makar from other defensemen in recent years is his goal-scoring ability from the back end. And Quinn has started to close that gap, mm-hmm. obviously showing so many more dimensions to his yeah. offensive game. But I think what McCarr has had that Quinn didn't have prior to this year is a partner that can truly unlock all of their abilities. And you watch Hughes and Heronic work together. They do so many wild and crazy things. They're always on the attack, it seems like. 
And then there's like, have you noticed this the, the switch they pull in the yeah. offensive oh, yeah. zone so often, mm-hmm. and I just how cross- much space it opens up for each other? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of like it, it's it's funny because when we spoke, I've spoken to Quinn a few times, and a few times we've spoken about how you can view attacking in hockey like basketball a little yeah. bit. Um, not only with how you attack players and how you draw somebody over to you, it's like drawing a double team and you kick over to open to the open guy, right? Yeah. But also in terms of setting a screen up high. It's setting a screen without setting a screen because what you're doing when you're doing that cross, and it's not like in basketball where the defense is switch. Like, you don't often see the, the, the hockey defenders pass a guy over. Like They literally have to like get com- they get confused and it takes them a beat to switch over yes. or like cross over one another and as soon as they do that but that little bit of space is all Quinn needed to attack downhill or whatever it might be exactly he attacks towards the net and all of a sudden there's oodles of space for him to do something or a teammate's wide yeah. open somewhere and you're right you can't do that with just anybody no you know you can't run a great pick and roll in basketball either <laughs> you know what I mean like Stockton Malone were the best yes. at it and the pick and roll is very simple but there was a reason why I needed two all-time greats for it to be all-time great. Well, Quinn and Luke Shen weren't doing something like that last year. Precisely. As good as Luke Shen was as Quinn's partner. Yeah, John Stockton and Greg Orsatag weren't, <laughs> weren't pulling that off. You know what I mean? This is some old, Zydrunas old... Zydrunas <laughs> Some old basketball references. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Greg Ostertag. Wow. That's a deep pull. But, you know, Makar and Taves, you, know, you can even expand this conversation into has Hughes Heronic developed into one of the best pairs in the league, and I think you, I think you, you nailed it when you mentioned Heronic unlocking Quinn Hughes. Yeah, the the lesson from the great teams, and you know, somebody texted in and said the Quinn McCarr debate is getting tiring, and I get it. The whole comparisons, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that the last little bit. But what about the things it tells you in terms of star players and how you can get the best out of them, and yeah. the importance of putting them with good players, not only in terms of teammates but also on the ice as their partners. We've had a lot of debates about. Is it worth loading up your best players up front? Mm-hmm. Have them all on the same line type of deal? And the numbers say, actually, it's not a bad idea because they just dominate so much. Same thing goes for, for defensemen. And you can look at Colorado's defense and say, as good as it is, maybe they would have been better overall if you split Taves and McCarr up. But putting their best two guys together, you just see what it does. You yeah. can do things that other guys can't do together on the ice. And Even at times when they put Byram and McCarr together, it works brilliantly. Exactly. And it's... That's the the thing Vancouver needs. It's that third guy. Yeah. One more player, really, right, can, that can be that type of player on the back end. And if you get that guy, it, it really changes things for you. But just having those guys together and what you need to do around your star players is give them players on the ice they can play with that can let them be the best versions of themselves. And we're now seeing that with Quinn Hughes. Uh, of pairs, defensive pairs across the league that have played 100 minutes or more together, only seven have a better goals for percentage than Hughes and Hronik, and trust me, some of those pairs have played just 100 minutes. So it's uh, it's pretty impressive what Hughes and Hronik have been able to do together. They've also scored the most of any pair with uh, 19 goals to their name so far this season when they've played as a pair at 5-on-5. Five five. Pretty impressive. Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. You are listening to Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Back in on Canuck Central. We're in the Kintec studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Those that are listening live, <laughs> just listen to uh, Overrated, Underrated. Um, this text. The Oilers losing 4 nothing right now. Overrated or underrated? Whoo, boy. Tough start for the Edmontons. Uh, they did get one back before the end of the first period against the Carolina Hurricanes. But it is 4-1. Stuart Skinner gave up four goals on 13 shots. This after uh, he was getting memed all over Twitter because he took a spill during uh, warm-ups. It's even tough for warm-ups and, uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. Darnell Nurse got a puck in the face. <laughs> Rough. Skinner falls. Then he gives up four goals on 13 shots. Um, but uh, Oilers, after changing the coach, still not great. They're in a really ugly spot, eh, Sat? Honestly, I, I still don't quite understand their coaching hire. Uh, Chris Knobloch. I was yeah. going to say Chuck. Chuck Knobloch. I know. I I still don't understand. Like for a team that's like I get in terms of hey somebody to be comfortable comfortable around um, Connor McDavid and maybe it does end up working on whatever. Still a lot of games left and it is McDavid and Dry Settle they have on the team. But like it sh- sh- shouldn't you have maybe got somebody with a bit more experience that understands the challenges of what what this team is at? Not the guy yeah. who's trying to learn to be in the NHL all of a sudden. Like I don't know. I just it's just a strange one. It. I just don't get it. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is the goalie guru uh, from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. It is Kevin Woodley. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Uh, thanks for this, uh, Woodley. It's, um, I, I mean, it's a day that ends in Y, and the sto- the Oilers are still uh, are still the story. But you know, as we've talked about here on this show, it's it's not just about the goaltending. I mean, it's also the way this team defends, and you know, just seeing some of those goals, it was constantly uh, rust chances for the Carolina Hurricanes and. It's nothing new for the Oilers. I don't know how you fix this level of defensive ineptitude in season at this point. Yeah, no, I, I got to be honest with you, Rich. I, I wasn't able to – like, I, I wasn't watching the game. Yeah. I was on a, on a deadline with a feature, and so I kind of didn't even have it on But in it's, the it's the same gonna, story was, with the Oilers. I mean, it's, it's I nothing different. You, like, yeah. is, it, is it off the rush? Is it lateral plays off the rush? And I just think um, – like, I know the goaltending is an easy target, and, hey, it hasn't been good enough. And – um, the, the line I keep hearing, and I've heard it a couple times on national broadcasts, is, you know, like they give that caveat that the defense hasn't been good enough, and then they're like, yeah, but could you imagine this team with Demko? And I'm like, yeah, I can. Look at the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks at the start of last season yeah. and how that went for Thatcher Demko. Like when you go, and we've talked about this before, it's usually just in relation to the Vancouver Canucks, when you become one of the worst defensive teams in hockey, like the difference between – bottom third and bottom three is exponential and they're just bleeding the highest danger chances off the rush on a nightly basis. The forecheck doesn't exist. The forwards don't backtrack. Defensive assignments are, are being missed all over the place. Uh, lack of effort at times by their top players, including some of their top defensemen in terms of getting back. Yeah. Goaltending has to be better, but like, I don't think you take Thatcher Demko, who's in the Vesna conversation, plug him into that team and have, you'll have better results. But what? Maybe it's 3-1 to one instead of 4-1 to one right now? Like, that, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's like everybody calling the Canucks for regression. Sure. But when it happens, can they win 3-2 instead of 5-2? Yeah. 
Like, I don't know that going out and, and getting a great goaltender, unless the whole concept of what confidence in a goaltender does for a team, like, if thinking your goalie is great is going to make you play better defensively, then maybe it does work. But, like, you would think if you have questions, you might want to tighten up. And it's not like it's in zone. It's not like it's like, hey, we don't trust the goalie, so everybody's running around in zone trying to do everybody else's job because we don't trust the goalie to do his. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not what's happening here. This is just piss-poor execution uh, through the neutral zone on the forecheck, and it's it's leading to, as I said, like, the worst high-danger chances against, and they're not even creating at the other end. This is the other one that's driving me a little nuts right now. So endure my rant, boys. Yes, please. Um, I keep hearing how they're, the Oilers are due for a positive regression in goal scoring. And that they're, you know, I, I've seen it, and I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I heard it again today referenced, and I've, I've seen it referenced on Twitter, like, you know, expected goals for being in the top five, mm-hmm. and that eventually these are going to start going in. And I just think, again, it's not the people that are that are sort of the smart people that are creating these numbers out of the data they have. Like, the, the people making the models are fantastic. But I think that the data is missing a lot of context. Yeah. Because I don't have the Oilers there at clear sight. I've got them in the 20s in terms of what they're generating on an expected goal model. They are not creating broken plays in tight. They are not creating lateral plays outside of the power play, which is also way down in the in the mid to low 20s in terms of expected goals. Like they're getting to areas and they're getting shot. They're not creating what is now considered dangerous offense. And what we can measure is dangerous offense in the NHL. So like the, the thing about just saying, oh man, the goaltending is, it ignores the fact that not only does the defense suck, but it's not even for the sake of being great offensively. Like they're not giving up all this stuff off the rush because they're generating so much. They're not, it's not fire wagon, all-star game hockey where they just trade chances. They're just, they're doing it at like none of it mm-hmm. is working right now for the Edmonton Oilers. And it's, uh, it just, it feels like Vancouver at the start of last season, frankly, yeah. like it, it feels very familiar to me. And you know, you know, I don't want to spend too much time, you know, ranting and raving about the public data. But to your point, in overall scoring chances uh, on natural statric, Edmonton ranks sixth, and in terms of high danger scoring chances for four, they rank third. And that's where the problem lies, too, when we look at a lot of these numbers. And I don't disagree that they're valuable and we should use them in terms of having some sort of a guide. But when they're being uh, pointed towards, especially with individuals, whether they're on the Canucks or other teams, about the seasons they're having, it seems like now, in the last, it's been a bit, a bit of a trend the last couple of years, but especially with how the game is changing, with how it's getting played. Hey, or Kevin, these numbers year in and year out, there's so much more noise around them and they can be misleading. Yeah, I mean, like... I'm going to be honest with you, Sat. Like, it's not just the, the public numbers. Like, I've, I've seen the Oilers' expected rates referred to using pri- some of the other private models as being really high and that there's regression coming in a positive manner. And listen, even accounting for how low ClearSight has them ranked, they still, they're still underscoring that. Like, there still is some positive regression coming, but not because they're top five in the league, just because they're not finishing at all. Um, they're on Five on five on the rush, they're 28th in expected goals for. Uh, five on five overall, they're 23rd. They're getting some in zone chances, and their their power plays up to 16. But this is this is not a dynamic offense underperforming what it's creating. Um, and it's certainly again defensively like 
man, I just like you. You can't be dead last in the league when it comes to giving up the most dangerous chances off the rush more than anyone else. Like it's just it doesn't work. So, whoo, deep breath, Oilers. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> well, it's I, tough in Edmonton right now. The the only uh, other and more from a, a a general perspective, but you know, can a team like can losing confidence in your goalie um, cause players cause a team to just you know, be as um, <laughs> crazy as the Edmonton Oilers are defensively. Um, like, does it lose lose you lose enough trust that all of a sudden you're you're pinching too much? You're trying to do too much. Like those old cliches. Can the lack of confidence in being able to get a save cause a team to really lose their defensive play? I like. I gotta think that there is a significant and very real cost to not being able to get those saves in terms of confidence and how it affects a team. Like I'm not denying that in the slightest, but wouldn't you think that you'd want to be a little more careful if that was the case? Cause a lot of mm-hmm. the times like this, again, it reminds me so much of Vancouver. It was, it was the timing and the dangerous, like the turnovers are in spots. And so needless that create the offense the other way, like it's pressing for offense as opposed to trying to do much, too much defensively. Quite often what happens when a team loses that trust, you get into your defensive zone and guys will start to chase out of position to block shots or to help another teammate who gets caught or beat defensively. Everyone will try and do more in their zone defensively. And what often happens is, is everybody else tries to do everybody else's job. Nobody's doing their own. And that gets ugly. But that's in zone. And in zone, the Oilers are fine. Like, they're fifth. They are fifth in five-on-five high-danger chances against in the defensive zone in settled play. The fact they're 25th overall tells you just how far off the map they are when it comes to the rush chances they're giving up. Like, they're not just 32nd. They are 32nd with a bullet. And to me, like that, you look at the plays that lead to it. If anything, it's pressing for offense. And maybe thinking you have to score five every night to have a chance, maybe that's why you press for offense. And maybe there's some validity to that argument. But I would think you have the ability and you'd have the mindset and and the understanding that we can't afford to give up free ones by turning pucks over, by, by, you know, chasing offense because of what's going on at the other end. It's... It, it is all off the rush where they're getting killed. And, and so I wasn't surprised without having watched that first period in Carolina to hear you tell me it was all off the rush again because it's been that way all season. Yeah, there was uh, two backdoor plays. One was a two-on-one. And um, uh, for my money, uh, I'm not the goalie uh, guru around here, but uh, it looked like three to me that uh, Stuart Skinner had zero chance on and uh, he got well, chased. Listen, Skinner's like that's not the strength of his game, right? Yeah. Like he is an in-zone goaltender. Um, if you want to trade rush chances, he's a big body who moves really well around his crease when it's point-to-point in zone. When we talk about backwards flow and some of the timing and rhythm, um, those aren't necessarily the strengths of his game. I've seen some reads off the rush that you know where he gets caught. Uh, on one, he'll be too passive. On the next, he'll be too aggressive. Uh, you know, if he if he sits back, he gets beat by a tip. If he gets too aggressive on a two-on-one. Um, he can't cover that ground. He's not a good enough skater to cover that ground laterally. Uh, so it, it's sort of a, I'd say the best of both worlds, the worst of all worlds in that 
this team is giving up. And they didn't do this. Like, people were like, oh, Edmonton Oilers defense, it's, you know, it was ever thus. Like, this wasn't them last year. They were a top 10 defensive team by the end of the year and for long stretches, a top five defensive team last year. Um, so, again, to me, this is something's changed. We talked about their neutral zone forecheck being a little more passive, like the Kings. I don't know what the new coaches brought in. Uh, but whatever changes they made, it ain't working, and it doesn't seem like they have the ability to fix it on the fly. And breaking news, the Carolina Hurricanes just scored again. So uh, it's a tough one well, for hey, the Oilers right now. <laughs> well, let's get into that because what did they do? What did they do to, no, but what did they do to Calvin Pickard? Yeah. Right? Like they called him up with a 968 and made him sit on the bench for two weeks? Yeah. Great. Like, like again, even the timing of that in terms of what they did with Jack, send him down – when he's coming through Canada and add the spotlight here in Vancouver and Abbotsford and then in Calgary after. And like one of their, one of their coaches said, I wish we were in Bakersfield right now. And he could do all of the things he needs to do outside of the spotlight and away from the noise that surrounds him. But they didn't. And they blindsided him with it. And so he had no ability to sort of pack or be ready. Now he's in Bakersfield. He gets a shutout last night. We'll see how it goes. But on the other, on the flip side of that, Calvin Picard, who hasn't played in the NHL in so long, comes up with the confidence of, of like a 968 save percentage, and you cool him? You call time out on his season and let him sit and be a part of all the pressure and see all the pressure that's built up around goaltending and around that team before you put him into a game? It just, you know, it's a decision that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. As much as I know Skinner got on a little roll there, it's almost like they played the wheels off him. At the same time, cooling the guy they called up to hopefully spell him. It, just a lot of things, and, and this happens when there's this much pressure and things go off the rails like this, but there are a lot of parts to this that just don't make a ton of sense from the outside. So uh, I wanted to get your take on the Hughes goal from from Monday night because it looked, uh, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant goal for me, but I'm also curious because it looked like Blackwood was a little too level on uh, on the goal line and, uh, you know, Hughes is able to pull that shot, but it – like part of it is a, a a perfect shot from Hughes, right? Like, I, if you're a goalie, do you expect a player, especially coming downhill on his on on a left hand shot, to be able to pick that tight of a spot, far side post? Like, it just it it seemed like a ridiculous shot more than anything to me. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, listen, like the the what what Blackwood drops into there uh, is we call a reverse or a reverse VH, where he dropped into that short side post. Um, you're right when you say the term we would use is flat. So his backside edge isn't out above the goal line. He hasn't rotated. And if you do that, if you, if you maintain a little bit of angle as you go into your post, rather than flattening out down near the goal line, it keeps the backside and that backside shoulder a little more square to the shooter, which gives you a better chance of sort of cutting off that angle. The other part there is Hughes doesn't quite make it to the bottom of the faceoff circle before he lets that shot go. So, you know, by the letter of the law, that's where a reverse or reverse VH technique would be used, sort of below the bottom of the circle and behind the net. You could argue he was in it a little too early as, as Hughes comes downhill, and maybe that creates the exposure. So all that said, watch Hughes as he turns the corner and comes down. He doesn't stick handle once. Like, he has that thing in a shooting position the whole time. Never handles it once. So as a goalie, he's a threat to shoot the whole time he's moving into, his, into that shooting space. And if you watch what everyone else is doing, when a player starts to come downhill like that, 
they all turn and head towards the net. And there's a couple sticks already in the picture as it goes by him. So I actually, you know, talking to their goalie coach, I don't think reverse was a wrong decision. I think it was more of an execution because what reverse does, if he squares up on Hughes and Hughes funnels that back door and it hits a leg or a stick, you don't have anything in the net. You're getting tapped in. And so by using a reverse, you put so much of your body, and in Blackwood's case, it is a big body. Um, he's built like a linebacker, and he's, and he's like tall and long, and there's a ton of great attributes and skill there. Um, you put that body in the net. So if he does funnel it back door, he's got a pad along the ice, and he's taking up space. Um, you know, the argument is maybe he should have kept that left side a little more rotated, a little higher above the goal line, and he cuts that off. But you can see him literally, like, watch his head and his shoulder pull up. Because most guys coming downhill are looking short side right by the ear. Like, and almost in, in some ways in even smaller space. And it looked like Blackwood sort of pulled towards that because that what, was what he was expecting from Hughes. What I can't tell you, and I am kicking myself big time for, because I was trying to ask the next day quietly behind the scenes, ask Quinn, um, and, and I was too busy with Brock to sort of get in there and, and sort of float this question without a microphone going. But um, I wonder if he was showing short side high, if he was showing by the ear with that stick blade and whipped it across the other way at the final second. Because we're seeing not just has the shot velocity and the volume of shots increased from Quinn Hughes, but we're seeing some deception in that release. And goalies are talking about it a little bit. And again, San Jose didn't open their room either, which is never mind that it's against NHL protocols. They just brought out a couple players and Blackwood wasn't one of them. So I didn't get to ask him either. My hunch is Quinn might've been showing short side high the whole time. And this is just, again, if that's true, one more dimension that he has added to his game that has led to, you know, him tying a career high in single season goals and it's it's not even December. Yeah, no, it's been remarkable, absolutely remarkable. You were mentioning a bit earlier about Edmonton's environment and it, you know even if Demko was playing there would be different and obviously this year uh, the Canucks their environment has been significantly better and we've talked about that as well with you and even so with the public data it does paint a bit of a different picture and even so the last few games uh, you know we've heard the coach mention how they need to get back to certain principles in their games and they haven't been at their absolute best but overall what do you see in terms of Vancouver's environment and you know how they're able to maybe sustain some of the improvements we saw against the San Jose Sharks? Um, like overall, and this is still the entire season, um, so I haven't, you know, my apology said I didn't filter it for the last week or so. No, right? no that's okay. San, yeah, Jose, yeah. San Jose's game individually. I was so busy ranting on the Oilers that I had all their numbers <laughs> up. I, you guys got me like so We got you, yeah, you're wired up on the Oilers. Yeah, I, yeah I just yeah. like absolutely <laughs> jacked. Um, you know, it, it's... Uh, Everything's good. D-zones, D-zones, not, not like it's sort of mid-pack in the NHL in terms of five-on-five five expected goals against. The high-danger ones, the ones mm-hmm. that in my mind matter the most, the ones that tend to lead to the most success in playoffs in terms of how you do for and against. Um, but off the rush, they're third best in the league in terms of what they give up, and overall, they're fifth. Top five in the National Hockey League, five-on-five high-danger expected goals against. And that is not just a metric that tells me the defensive play will be somewhat sustainable, um, but it tends to be a metric that is a, often a very good indicator of potential playoff success. It's, it's been one you can sort of take to, take to the bank, but maybe, may, maybe take to your bookie in years past. Um, the one part that is where they are leaking, where they've relied too much on goaltending so far is the PK. 
Um, you know, I, I actually don't even know if the raw numbers show improvement, but the underlying, uh, they're still giving up too many high danger chances. They're 28th in the National Hockey League in that regard on the penalty kill. And obviously that's something that, you know, you've got to keep a closer eye on without Carson Soucy, even though he wasn't, you know, playing, um, you know, he wasn't the first guy out there. He was, he was part of the second pairing, especially, and we've seen it of late, a couple of mistakes when Ian Cole ends up in the box. Like, that's a bit of a double whammy on your left side of your PK, and it's happened, I think, three times in the last couple of home games where it's in in the box, no Susie, and, and things get a little thin on that left side, or you're asking Quinn used to do too much on those nights on your left side. So that's the one that, that still needs some work, but five-on-five, five, guys, it's uh, like, <laughs> I can't, not to go back to the Oilers, but it's damn here like they swapped. Like, the Oilers were top five in these categories last year, mm-hmm. and now they're bottom third. And, and, like, it's the opposite here in Vancouver. And Boy, I can tell you which one's more enjoyable to cover. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot different this year uh, around the Canucks. Uh, they've got Colorado tonight, and, you know, everybody's talking about Hughes and Hughes and McCarr and, and that big battle. But um, what's going on in, uh, in net for Colorado right now? And it seems like... Uh, they're going to rely on Georgiev quite a bit this year. Is uh, might be a, a workload issue there, but how's he performed so far this season? I, I think I think we've got a workload issue, to be quite honest. Because um, at the beginning of the year, obviously the numbers have fallen off here. At the beginning of the year, uh, he was he was sort of in that early season category, right alongside, you know, Thatcher Demko. Like he was one of the guys who was outperforming his environment by a significant amount. And as the year has gone on, that has fallen off to the point where he's actually slightly below expected right now. Um, defensively, they're still in the top 10 in all the key metrics. Are they where they were last year in you know, top five flirting, you know, chasing the Kings for one of the top spots or two years ago when they're like that? No. Um, but they're still a good, sturdy defensive team. His expected save percentage uh, is below league average, uh, but you know, not by a, a significant margin. This, to me, just feels like they wrote him too hard too early. Um, just too many games in a row. And, you know, there's a reason we're seeing teams go towards tandems. It's a reason we're seeing the, the Vancouver Canucks use Casey DeSmith maybe more early this season than we expected. Like, there's a price to pay when you play guys too much. It's really hard to maintain that level night in, night out. And one thing about the NHL that I've heard from, from goalies, from goalie coaches over the last couple of years you can't get away with a B game anymore. Like you just can't. I remember, you know, in the, in the days of Roberto Luongo and guys starting 70 plus games, they would talk about it. They would talk about not feeling great, but finding ways to sort of manage nights where they weren't at their best. And you talk to guys now and you just can't like the offense is too dynamic. Players are too good. If you're not on it on a nightly basis, that's when you give up five. And so you know, overplaying guys and putting them in that situation where they don't feel great. I think this is what you get. You know, Georgiev, like he, he would ask for all this. He would ask for all the starts. He would want to be that guy. Like he has a very strong self-belief. Uh, he waited for a long time to get the opportunity to be a number one. And I thought he did a hell of a job with it last year, uh, both in watching him in the, even in the playoffs against Seattle, uh, what the adjusted numbers say, like he was full value as a number one last year, but it's almost like, they, they just put a little too much, I don't say faith in it, but they just wrote them too hard. And, and I think it's really hard to find the time to reset from that. Like you sort of, it's hard to recover because you, you can't just sit them out for a week and rest them. And that's sort of the challenge they face right now. So I'm really curious to see how he looks uh, in this game tonight. 
Woodley, we always appreciate the time and the insights. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you need to watch the Oilers the rest of the night. Just uh... <laughs> you know. What, do you know what? You guys want to know what the problem is? I got an electric car now, so I'm plugged in uh, all the time. Ah, uh, that's right. So like all this energy is flowing through me. So <laughs> you guys can blame White Rock Hyundai, and let me tell you, like. Electric cars are the way to go, boys. I'm actually losing weight <laughs> because of an electric car. I don't stop at the gas station and buy nibs every day now. Beautiful. So if you, too, want to lose weight and get an electric car, they got like 40 on the lot right now. Make sure you check it out. Uh, there it is. Uh, thanks, Woodley. All the best, guys. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley. He is on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or White Rock Hyundai. Dot com. Still a lot to get to. Chris Higgins is going to join us, Canucks Assistant Director of Player Development. This hour of Canucks Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com Canada for a smart demonstration. JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. You are listening to Canuck Central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central back in on uh, the Kintech studio. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Pre-game for Canucks and Avalanche still to come. Let's bring in our next guests. I should say guests. As we have uh, Chris Higgins, Canucks Assistant Director of Player Development, and Corey Duhame. Uh, thanks for this, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing well. That's great to hear. Well, as well. Yeah, thank you, Corey. It's uh, <laughs> it's great to have you on. And um, you know, I, Corey, just to, to to start with you, I know you've uh, participated in Special Olympics. Um, how, how have Special Olympics programs helped you through your journey? Well, if I weren't in Special Olympics, I probably wouldn't leave my hometown at all. <laughs> That's a bonus. I'm sure you've had to. You've been able to, to have some pretty incredible experiences because of that. Uh, yes, I have. Well, and and Chris, uh, you obviously have a very a personal connection too with your sister Jeannie. How did you view her growth into becoming a Special Olympian, and and how you uh, are participating in these in these adventures now as well? Yeah, it's been always been close to my heart, and I've been, uh, you know, trying to help out with Special Olympics as much as I can throughout my career. And now that I'm retired, um, I thought I'd have more time to help out, but then I got hired in this role, and <laughs> I can help out just a little bit. I'd love to. I'd love to help out more, like my dad. My dad uh, helps coach my sister's team a little bit, and uh, no, it's been um, uh, it's been uh, world changing for us, for our for our family to see. Um, my sister's confidence rise, um, the friends that she's made. Um, 
she's learned a lot about herself and and kind of how to how to dig in and and push for something and push through the pain and, and sacrifice you know time with her friends and uh you know because she's she's so invested in <laughs> winning gold medals so <laughs> yeah. um no it's it's uh tremendous tremendous uh impact on our family it's been going on for i mean as long as i can remember she's been involved in um you know uh, the excitement that she gets for her meets um you know she'll have a meet on saturday and she'll be packed up and ready to go on wednesday <laughs> so she's you know she'll be dialed in and uh you know go to sleep early on that friday night and uh it's cool to see and um you know i think just being around the special olympians uh i mean they are the definition of heart um the way they approach their different events um and uh you know, and afterwards they they give they give everything they have. I mean, that's that's absolutely certain. They give every single thing that they have, and then afterwards, you know, they're just as happy if they won as if their friends won. So, um, you know, the sportsmanship that goes around among those athletes is uh, uh, it's, it's it can make you emotional. Corey, what what is uh, what is the, your favorite Special Olympics experience that you've had? I've had several. Yeah. Uh, last three years ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I got three gold medals in Thunder Bay. But in terms of, of you uh, getting those experiences and, and having those medals, what do those medals mean to you now that you've earned them? Yeah, they're very important. I don't want them broken. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty a pretty incredible uh, story. Uh, you you have Corey and competing in in several different events and and winning those gold medals. And Chris, you know, you, you talked about some of the experience you've had uh, watching uh, as as your sister grew through this and. Yeah, just it kind of gets to um, you know the core of sport. You know, when we're all young, you know, whether or not we're getting to to the pros or anything, you know, we get to build friends, build confidence, uh, build a, a little piece of ourselves when we when we get into involved in sport from a from a young age. Yeah, I think um, you know, just seeing the trend over the years and 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 the incremental incremental growth. Um, you know, of her skills, but also her personality. And, um, she just, and just the excitement of going to those events. Um, man, it's just, it's just a whole yeah. bunch of people with smiles on their faces. And, you know, sometimes that's, you know, it makes me laugh because, you know, before a game, before a hockey game that I played on, it was all, it was pretty serious and guys were kind of dialed in and not a whole lot of smiles going around, but it's, you know, the complete opposite, uh, with special Olympians, uh, always have a smile on their face, always, uh, cheering on the other athletes, which is which is uh, always nice to see. Uh, and Corey, I understand you have a thank you message you want to get across. I'd like to thank uh, the supporters. I could say merci, gracias, danke. <laughs> oh, only so many ways to say it. Yeah, but just a huge uh, thank you. That's awesome, Corey. Uh, we we appreciate your time. Thanks for your time today, and uh, congrats on all the success. All the best Thanks. to you. All right, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here with Chris Higgins, Canucks Assistant Director of Player Development. And uh, Chris, you know the, the the talk of the town right now is is the big club. It's uh, it's been a pretty good start to the season so far. What have uh, what have you seen from the team? I think they took another another step in their maturity. I think uh, Quinn Hughes has done a really nice job of getting the team off on a, on a, on the right foot, and then uh, obviously the coaching staff is is holding players accountable. So, um, you know, 
that was a big goal of the organization was to start off start off on the right foot um you know get up in the standings as far as we can because it's 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 so difficult to to make up points on teams um so they've they've cleared that first hurdle but um you know there's a lot of hockey left to play there'll be some ups and downs as, as we move along here but um you know certainly it's nice to see a little buzz in the city and people coming up to you on the street and um excited for the game um you know people are People are, have a positive outlook for the team, which has hasn't been the case for, for <laughs> you know for a number of years. And um, you know, it's an exciting time within the organization. You know, our Abbotsford team's playing really well. We have a number of prospects that are playing really well, and obviously the big club's playing well. So, um, you know, it's uh, um, you know it energizes you. It gives you you know motivation to keep pushing um, every day and trying to get better every day. And um, you know, certainly. Um, you know, to a to a person throughout our organization, I could I could say that um, you know we're we're hungry and we're always we're always searching for more. So it's just a really nice uh, really nice feeling around the organization right now. Well, and it it is a lot be- more fun covering the team when it's successful. Believe me, Chris. <laughs> like uh, I know sometimes we get caught in these vortexes, but it is far better talking about a team uh, that has won 13 games already in their first 19 appearances. But that hard work you mentioned, and yes, you're not traveling every day with the players in any 82 game schedule. But what you do in your role, you're traveling quite a bit. And you just you just came back from Sweden as well, putting some miles in. And uh, what what how what was your experience like in Sweden? You've been with this organization for, for a while and. And obviously, the prospect pool has gone through different phases. But uh, what, what's your kind of takeaway of the talent you guys have in Sweden after your visit? Oh, I think it's I think it's very promising. Um, it was nice to get over there. Michael Samuelson, who who's works in the player development, showed me around a little bit, and um, yeah, it was nice. It was, uh, it was really encouraging to see some of these guys. They're they're playing some really good hockey for us, um, and we're excited. We're excited to have them over. We're excited about our prospect pool. We have some depth. We have, um, you know, argument to make with with a lot of our guys for a legit chance to play in the NHL, and um, you know, it's our job as a development staff to help them understand the, you know, the practice habits and the things you don't see, you know, the things behind the curtain that, um, you know, those everyday habits that uh, every NHLer needs to have. Yeah, it, uh, it it it, uh, it it is exciting. Some of the the young prospects there, and obviously Jonathan Lekaramaki is is the one uh, first round pick from just a couple of years ago, and he's off to an incredible start so far this year. Is he just uh, is he just brimming with confidence right now? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think we we all recognize he has some game breaking talent, and you know you see some of the the highlights of the goals he scores there. They're absolutely super nice, and um, you know his his puck touches are very clean. He's a, he's a very underrated passer. He thinks the game very, very quickly. I think almost too quickly for some of the guys that he plays with over there. Um, obviously, tremendous shot. I thought last year, you know, he struggled to score goals, but I, I thought he was just unlucky. I think his shot selection was excellent. He should have scored a lot more goals last year. Um, and he looks dangerous this year. He looks faster. He's committed himself more to uh, to, to, to the off-ice habits. And, um, you know, and he's got a good good partner working with him and Michael Samuelson, who's really taken uh, – you know, a special interest in them and, and, and works with them, uh, you know, quite often. And how encouraging is it to see him, you know, have the success he's having against Swedish elite league level talent? Yeah, I think, you know, bump it up from Altsvenskan last year. Now he's playing against men and, um, you know, it's still on the big ice and they'll have some challenges when he comes over and plays on the smaller ice. Um, but he's doing the things he needs to do every day um, to, to, to be a pro. He's got to learn to be a pro. He's still... Um, you know, he's still young, he's still underdeveloped, um, you know, when he starts putting together, um, you know, some of the off ice work, 
uh, you know, we think we're going to have a very special player. Uh, the the other Elias Pettersson, I, I I feel like I should ask about him. We know uh, Elias Pettersson here is is off to a great start this season, but you know, watching uh, Elias Pettersson defenseman uh, at development camp, it, it was really impressive. Um, he's just got a really uh, it seems like a mature game for a young kid. Yeah, I, I, I would I would say that he, he he is mature. He's mature off the ice. I had a nice little uh, sat down with him for lunch while I was over there, and um, we had a great talk. And you could tell he's put a lot of time and um and thought into the future his his future and his future coming over here and, and joining the Abbotsford group and, and, and the Canucks in the future as well um asked a lot of questions about the Swedes that have made the jump obviously we have a number in our organization now uh that are playing Abbotsford and want to know about the hurdles that they have faced earlier in their career I thought that was a great question um so obviously he's he does have a mature game on on ice, and and he's very mature off the ice. And like like you know like Lecky, he's the guy that um, you know we've been excited about since we drafted him. Our amateur scouts were were super excited about him, and uh, and we're seeing the same things as a development staff. Well, and he's kind of you know he's played at the SHL level this year. He's also been in the Allsvenskan this year. What's kind of been kind of the reason for him splitting time between both levels? Uh, I think just ice time. He was playing as a seven C in Orbrew, um and wasn't getting a whole lot of burn there. They were they were doing well towards the towards the beginning of the season. They've slipped a little bit in the standings now, so um, we'll see what happens there. But he's very happy where he is. He's playing playing in his hometown. Um, so off ice, the, his training habits. He, he's very comfortable, um, and he's he's just in a good space uh, mentally. And he's he's a hungry guy. I think we could throw, he's a guy that we could probably throw a lot at him. Um, and 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 put on put a lot on his plate, and and he'll be able to handle it. Uh, habits. Uh, you mentioned a couple times in this interview. I know it's been a big word, really, the last uh, eighteen months around the organization. Uh, h- how much of you know what you're doing and, and speaking to these prospects when you go around is about relaying that message of and what it means to be a Canuck and, and sort of trying to, to build that organizational identity. So these prospects and, and potential future Vancouver Canucks, you know, they, they know what's expected of them when they come into a, a training camp or a development camp or something like that. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, something Michael Samson always says is we want everyday players. So it's every day. And that, that's tough to do. It really is. It took, uh, you know, it took a number of years for me to figure out what that actually meant. I think it takes a, I think it's a lot of guys to understand what that actually means to be an everyday contributor on a good NHL team. Um, you know, going back to my first practice with the Canucks in, in 2011 on that on that on that really good team we had. Um, you know, that was what stood out to me the most of all the of all the things that 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 um, of all the weapons that that, that team had. Um, you know, Hank and Danny, the power play. You know, Ryan Kessler, the defense, the goalies. Um, what's, what stuck, stuck out most to me was the way they practiced. I thought they, you know, being the best team in the league and being first, first place in the league, that they would kind of be in cru- cruise control down the stretch, especially in practice, maybe dialing it back and saving energy. And, boy, was I wrong. Those guys practiced so hard, and I had to, um, you know, increase my level just to, just to keep pace with those guys. And I thought it was, you know, so, so refreshing to see the competition level every single day between so many of the guys on the team, whether it be in the weight room and practice or even games, guys wanted to be, you know, each line wanted to be the reason why the team won. Mm-hmm. And that was infectious and it spread. And, um, you know, I think that's, 
I'm starting to see glimmers of that with, with the team now, um, you know, that competitive energy every single day. Um, and it's, uh, it's really rewarding to see, um, you know, see that after being with the organization that's going on my fifth year now. I know you haven't had a chance to uh, recently go see Tom Willander, but obviously very familiar with him, Swedish player who was drafted 11th overall last year by you guys and, and made maybe the somewhat surprising decision to go to college and prepare himself for the North American game even even quicker. But in terms of just his attitude and how he started off having success, even watching him from afar, how impressed have you guys been with just his overall character and, and attitude to things? Yeah, I think, you know, what stands out when you talk to Tom is his confidence in himself um, and is and he's competitive. I think, um, you know, again, like Elias Pedersen, I feel like it's a guy that we can throw a lot on his plate and he'll be able to take it in. Um, you know, I think it showed a lot of courage that he made the decision to come over and play in college. He had it, you know, he's probably comfortable at home playing in his hometown and being around his family. But, um, you know, he decided to come over here, get used to the small ice. Um, you know, he's, he's working with a tremendous program at, at Boston University, um, playing with some really, really good players. So, um, you know, I think just that just that, that he made that leap over to come over here shows that how bad he wants it. And, um, you know, we're starting to see some of those things early in the year. There's, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, you know, he moves around the ice so well. Um, you know, his, his, his puck skills, his intelligence. Um, you know, he's again, like I said, we're we're excited about a number of guys in our in our organization, um, and and Tom is is certainly near the top of the list. Well, it's come along quite a bit here the, the last couple of years, hasn't it? Uh, you, you know, the the club has uh, drafted a couple of really uh, exciting prospects, but also you know signing some free agents out of the the CHL and uh, some European free agents, and you see Abbotsford, a very young Abbotsford team, having success early on this season as well. It's just it's a really growing prospect pool from what I can see. Yeah. I think when I, you know, when I took over, it was, it was, it was there, you know, like it was, let's just call it spade a spade. It was there. There wasn't a whole lot of high end talent. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of guys to, to, to be excited about, to, to be quite honest. Um, you know, we, we had a few guys, Linus Carlson and Nils Hoglander come to mind, but um, uh, overall now in year five, the depth, the quality, and you're starting to see the guys that uh, we've worked with over the number of years starting to get success in Abbotsford as well as at the big club. Um, man, it just it's just uh, it energizes you. Like I said, and um, you know we feel like we're getting closer and closer to our goal. Um, you know, it wasn't the case my my first couple of years where you know it was you know it was it was hard to it was hard to get excited. It was hard. You know, the big club was struggling, um, and we didn't have a whole lot uh, coming up in the future. So um, completely different now completely different feel around the organization. Matt, new management has done a tremendous job. Um, you know, the influence of Hank and Danny working with uh, Jeremy Colleton staff down in Abbotsford has been a tremendous success. And, uh, you know, we're really excited about the guys that are still in college and junior or, or in Europe to come over and start working with Jeremy's staff and, and Hank and Danny and, and, and making uh, their dreams come true of playing in the NHL. Hey, Chris, uh, we, we really appreciate the time today. Thanks for this and uh, also for sharing your story uh, of the importance of uh, Special Olympics programs. Thanks for this. My pleasure, guys. Take care. There is uh, Chris Higgins, Assistant Director of Player Development for the Vancouver Canucks. And it's kind of um, 
kind of crazy how far we've come in, in 12 months set when the Canucks mm-hmm. were completely under fire as an organization. And now, uh, not that there's nothing bad, but it's kind of hard to find things to be overly negative about with the organization at this moment. Yeah, we still found found things to critique, obviously. Yes. But now the critique isn't so much about exis- existential dread and where is this organization <laughs> going. It's more about, hey, how do they become one of the top teams in a league? Yes. We had the discussion today earlier today that they're a top five team in the, West. in the Western Conference. That's a discussion point as opposed to what is going to happen. Yeah. Where, where are they trending? Who's going to, you know stay who's going to leave like what do they need to do now it's more about okay how do you f- not not fine tune you're not there but how do you be- get to a point where you're one move away and you're getting closer to that and uh the prospect pool uh, to to chris's point has has grown quite a bit you know he even admitted you know still lacking a little bit of that super high-end talent but lekaramaki has that and they're really excited about willander but they've done a pretty good job of building out some quality depth in the prospect pool and some guys that look like they will have NHL games in them at some point. But let's move the focus to tonight's game. Canucks and Colorado Avalanche. We dive into the pregame. Hughes versus McCarr. Canucks against one of the top teams of the West. It's next on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show with Bick Nazar, where you're part of the show. Download the podcast on demand.